0: Uh, But I don't know if you've heard this term much in the news lately, but have you heard of squatting, Uh, this practice where people will, you know, they'll they'll come into a home and they will, um, you know, basically they're initially trespassing. But uh, because the vacant, because the property might be vacant, um, they'll live there in the intentions of taking ownership of that residence and some states even have squatters rights. They have these laws that will give these people rights protecting them based on how long they were at the residence. Uh, But imagine if you came home, the surprise you would have to see someone living in your home, somebody uninvited, somebody you don't know, uh, living in the home that you bought, the home that you pay taxes on. Uh, A few years ago, there was a story uh, about a man in South Carolina who had came he came home after a period of time being away, and he noticed something different. There was this dog in their front yard that he had never seen before. There was a baby seat at the front door, uh, or a car seat, and he wasn't sure what was going on. And as he approached the door, he started to hear you know, a small child crying. And he went to the door, and a woman poked her head out and said, Excuse me, what are you doing in my home? And the man said, No, excuse me. What are you doing in my home? I live here. And so eventually, you know, he got the police involved, and they came, and they were able to get the woman and her children out of the home. But as they were leaving, he noticed that the woman was wearing his wife's clothing, and, and the children were wearing his children's clothing. And he said at the end of the interview that, you know, I felt violated. I felt extremely violated and yeah you know, I'm sure that you and I would feel the same way if that ever happened to us if someone came into our home and and took over in that capacity well in the old testament in the old testament David intended to build a house for God but uh, but God told David that because he had shed much blood and because he had waged many more wars that he was not going to be the one to do it but that it would be his son Solomon and so Solomon builds the temple, he dedicates the temple uh, through, um, and in his prayers, you know, he, he asks God that, you know, to keep his ears open to the prayers that would be prayed towards the temple, uh, a house of prayer, if you will. And although, you know, Solomon's temple will be destroyed uh, when, when they go into captivity and it's going to change hands, you know, a few times uh, during history uh, by the enemies of the Jews. The temple it plays an important role in the history uh, of the Jewish nation and within Scripture. And you know when we see Jesus in the New Testament, he has a concern for the sanctity of the temple, and it shines through his actions. At age twelve, he was in uh, his father's house. You know he referred to the temple as his father's house. And John chapter two. Uh, He he went in and he cleansed the temple and was teaching that it was not a place to conduct commerce. And then uh, in Luke chapter 19 and uh, and the other uh, gospel accounts, the second time he cleansed the temple, he spoke of it as being a house of prayer for all the nations. And as as being the, the son of God, he had full rights as the son of God to drive out those who were abusing his father's house. But, but we know that buildings have no sanctity uh, about them, but it's rather it's God's presence that made the temple holy. And God's house today, of course, is his people, the church. And we'll talk about that a little bit later in Ephesians chapter 2. But I want us to notice this evening uh, why Jesus cleansed the temple. Then and why we need to be careful as well today uh, not to make those same mistakes. And so as we uh, jump into uh, in Luke chapter 19, we want to notice, first of all, the context of where we are. This is the Passion Week. Uh, The Passion Week is is runs from Sunday when Jesus enters Jerusalem. And then that Friday he's going to be crucified. And that next Sunday he's going to um, be raised from the dead. And this is, again, it's often referred to as the Passion Week. And at the beginning of this week, Jesus enters Jerusalem in what's you know, usually referred to as the triumphant entry. And he comes in. He's riding on a colt. Remember, the people are laying down their coats and branches as he comes in. And they're singing Hosanna in the highest, uh, basically meaning save us. Uh, but on the next day, on Monday, uh, Mark tells us in his account, Jesus is going to go into the temple. And he's going to enter the temple and he's going to, to cleanse it. Now, you might be asking yourselves, well, wasn't there two uh, temple cleansings within Scripture? And, and yes, uh, John, uh, he gives us a temple cleansing account in John chapter 2 at the beginning of Jesus's ministry. But Matthew, Mark and Luke are going to give us another uh, account uh, a temple cleansing that Jesus performs at at the end of his ministry again during the the Passion, week and so we we want to notice uh, in this account uh, what Luke Matthew and Mark have to say about this. Now it's interesting that within Scripture it's usually Luke who gives us the most information and Mark gives us. Uh, Less, you know, Mark's a very short book. He's to the point, but Mark gives us the most information. So let's look at Luke and then Matthew and Mark. And, and I've got highlighted in red on the the over screen what information has been added by some of the other gospel writers uh, in the Synoptic Gospels. But let's see what Luke says in his version. He says Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out those who were selling, saying to them, "It is written, and my house shall be a house of prayer." But you have made it a robber's den. So Luke gives us a little bit of information, but Matthew is going to give us a little bit more. His account says, And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a robber's den. And again, it's important that, that, you know, when these accounts are within Scripture uh, in various places, that we should go and look at each one of them to get the full context. And again, Mark here, surprisingly, is giving us the most. Mark 11, verses 15 and 17 says, "...then they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who were buying and selling in the temple, and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he would not permit anyone to carry merchandise through the temple." And he began to teach and say to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a robber's den. And if we recall in Second John, after that first temple cleansing, you know, the Jews weren't really frustrated or necessarily mad with Jesus, but they, they wanted to know by what sign do you show us this authority, Jesus? What authority do you have to do these things? But as we're going to notice here at the second temple cleansing, the second time that he does this towards the end of his life, the, the chief priests, the scribes and the leading men among the people, uh, Luke 19, 47 says, we're trying to destroy Jesus. They've had enough uh, of these actions. And so, again, we want to we want to talk about the sanctity of the temple. Then uh, the sanctity of the temple, again, was an important part of the Jewish History uh, Throughout the Old Testament, we, we can read accounts of King Hezekiah and King Josiah, even Nehemiah. When they come back from uh, captivity and they reestablish the temple, that they cleanse it. They get rid of the, the pagan idolatry that was in it, and they rededicate it to the Lord. And even during the intertestamental period uh, of Scripture, that, that's in between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's about 400 years where God is silent, that that no prophet is speaking. And during these years, we know a little bit of history from uh, historical um, authors who have written things during that time. There was a ruler by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes. And what he did was, when he was in control of the temple there in Jerusalem, that he took a pig, a pig, and he sacrificed it to the god Zeus in the temple. And this was a great great travesty to the Jewish people who then revolted and basically you know, took back control of the temple and they had to cleanse it. They had to cleanse it to get it back to what they believed God would want the temple to be. And, and we many believe that even within the Old Testament, that when the Messiah came, that he was going to cleanse the temple, restore it again to its glory, or even replace it. But uh, those things didn 't happen, but what drove uh, the actions of Jesus? You know what was going on in the temple that made him so frustrated and Really, what it boils down to is there was a lack of reverence and respect for God in his home in his temple we, He sees the or Jesus sees the commercialized and the formalized worship of the Jewish nation all under the oversight of and approval of the priests. These things were going on at the approval of the high priests and the priests uh, who were working there at the temple. And so Jesus sought to restore it to its proper place in the service of God. And we notice uh, through the, these scriptures here that there was animal purchasing going on within the temple complex. It was in, in what was known as the outer skirts of the temple complex, which was uh, the court of the Gentiles. This is where anyone, including the Gentiles, could enter. And there, was this, um, there were sheep and oxen and doves here uh, for sale, for purchase. And, and what would happen was that people who came from great distances, uh, out of convenience, they didn't have to you know, bring their own animals to sacrifice. They could come to the temple complex and there within the temple complex. That would be these sheep and auction. Or even the doves if they were poor individuals. Would be there available to purchase. And this was okay. This was something that was even permissible by God. In the old law. In Deuteron- Deuteronomy chapter 14. Uh, he gives them uh, the, the command. That this was okay to do. That they could bring their tithe to a place. To Jerusalem if they traveled far away. And purchase um, these things. But the problem was that. There was a lot of um, greediness going on, the, the, that these animals were, were being charged, upcharged, that if the priest didn't approve of the sacrificial animal that a person might have brought, the worshiper was told that they had to purchase one of theirs. Right, Theirs wasn't good enough and they had to purchase a, a different one. You know, it's a lot of like. You know, have you gone to you know professional sporting events or maybe a movie theater? And um, you know, you go to the concession stand, and, and you, you know, you're not allowed to bring in outside food into a concession or into a movie theater. But if you want a soda, if you want a popcorn, you know, you're going to pay for it. Right? They set the rules. It's their establishment, and you're paying for that convenience. You're paying that for that convenience to be able to purchase those things there. Um, But that's not what, Jesus was not happy about this, right? Because this is God's house. This is his father's house. And his people are being taken advantage of. Uh, They're having to be charged uh, extra for for coming uh, and and using uh, the animals that were there for purchase in the court of the Gentiles. Again, the sacred place to them uh, where these animals were were living at this point. You know, it's God who set the rules. God set these rules and uh, we noticed that, again, that this place, uh, that Jesus was not happy about this. And we also noticed in those verses that there was this currency exchanging going on. Also, in order to purchase at the temple or pay the temple tax, they had to exchange their currency. Uh, you know, likely what money changers were set up. Uh, within the grounds, uh, you know, they had their own vendor space and people were traveling from all over the the known world coming to Jerusalem and they were bringing their foreign currency. And again, they had these motives to make a profit. And so they, they wouldn't accept the, the Greek or the Roman coinage to pay this half shekel tax. You know, the Jewish men had to pay this tax once a year, every year when they came to Jerusalem. And they wanted nothing to do with the, the, the Roman coinage or the or the Greek coinage, uh, possibly because of uh, the pagan symbols that would have been on it or the the picture of the emperors that would have been forged on them. And so instead, they had to use a much finer coin, uh, a Tyre uh, the coins that were made in Tyre, uh, Tyrrhenian mintage. Um, and so they required again for this money exchange this upcharge. They were upcharging the people. You know, and they would say, you know, nothing, nothing's too good for for God's temple, right? Exchange your money, get the get this uh, other uh, exchange, and again, Jesus was not happy about their motives, right? They're, his people is being taken advantage of in His house, and then we also noticed, at least in Mark's account, that He told us. That they were using the temple complex for shortcuts. That people were using, they bringing merchandise through the temple complex to get from one point to, to another. And Jesus also opposed this practice, and he put an end to it. Uh, rather, they should have been walking around the complex, and he regarded this as a violation of the sacredness of the temple. Uh, you know, we kind of understand this. You know, I've only you know li- lived here in Colombia for you know three 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 and a half months or so. Uh, but, uh, you know, we noticed that in the center of town, you know, we've got this roundabout and, uh, you know, it's kind of not a good thing for trucks to be driving through that because uh, they take out the signs. You know, part of the part of the building I, I've seen that has been hit and, and destroyed because of that. And that's why, you know, we, we built that bypass, that bypass so that they can avoid taking shortcuts by coming downtown and, you know, hitting the the, the building And so they should have been, you know, taking the bypass in the first place instead of hitting the, you know, the building in the center square, taking out the the signage around there. But Jesus says that this, you know, this sacred space of the temple courts has been turned into a robber's den. Uh, Now, these transactions that are going on, they are necessary. Uh, they are, but they are occurring in the wrong place and they're being done with the wrong motives. The selling and buying of animals, the exchange of money, uh, the transportation of items through the court of the Gentiles were a hindrance to the foreigners who came to worship God. Right. This would have been a distraction to the Gentiles who are gathering to pray. You know, how hard would it be for you and I to worship when we're hearing the bleeding of sheep? When we're hearing coins, you know, making that clinking noise as, as they're being tossed in or, or the, the transactions being done by the barterers. And so Jesus says, and he recalls Isaiah 56 verse 7, he says, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all the peoples. But instead of a house of prayer, the Jewish leaders had turned the temple into a robber's den. And then he's alluding to Jeremiah chapter 7 verse 11. And this word robber. You know, it's not a common thief that he's talking about, but he's talking about a bandit, one who isn't afraid of using violence to get his way. You know, this is strong language, and he's implicating the leadership of the Jews, the high priests and the priests, of, of promoting this robber's den uh, or a cave. You know, this is where robbers return to their hideouts. They divide the spoil. And they avoid being detected. And Jesus is saying, at the heart... Of this problem at the heart of the nation's problem was a loss of a right relationship with God as evidenced by the corruption that was going on in their worship. That was the sanctity of the temple then. Now I want to talk about the sanctity of the temple now. You know, we must have a heart set on worshiping God in spirit and in truth. And again, God's house today, God's temple today is his people, the church. Uh, I'll put Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22 up on the board. But, But here, Paul writes, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. See, although God's people today no longer have to travel to a certain place, no longer they have to travel to Jerusalem to worship anymore. You remember Jesus said that true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. But we must, also, we must also guard ourselves against corrupt worship as a lack of reverence towards God's temple, again, his people, the church. Uh, a question I would ask ourselves is, you know, if Jesus were to return today in this relig- religious climate, would he be turning over tables? W- would he be chasing people out of his temple you know, again, we, we see this, we can relate this to what was going on there. there. There was this convenience of having the animals there at the temple, and, you know, we see conveniences today uh, that people seek in, in worship. You know, there was a slogan or, um, you know, a theme that went on uh, a few years ago that uh, people were promoting saying, attend the church of your choice. Right? Just, you know, it doesn't matter where, but just go and, and find the church of your choice. And people find convenience in that. They find convenience uh, or they find comfort in that convenience. But when we're looking for convenience in our worship, right, it's no longer about God, but it's about us. So we're putting ourselves up there. We're trying to please ourselves, you know, and it's sad that some may choose uh, based on, a place to worship based on a location rather than over doctrine. You know, what's being taught within that church? Uh, You know, some may choose the one that offers the most programs or the most benefits that they can receive, right? Uh, You know, does does the congregation offer a softball team? Do do they have a gymnasium? You know, these are things that some people will seek uh, as part of uh, going to a church, some people will choose based on, you know, maybe there's a famous person that goes to that, that church. And so that's the church I want to go to. But Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, and if you recall Matthew chapter 16, uh, verses 16 through 18, that you know, Jesus asked his apostles, who do you say that I am? Or, and they were saying, well, some people say you're Elijah, or some say that you're John the Baptist or Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And then Jesus asked Peter, well, who do you say that I am? Peter says, "You're the Christ, you're the Son of the Living God." And Jesus commended him for that great confession, and he said to uh, he said to Peter that upon that confession that he would build his church. He would build his church, and for that reason, every person owes it to himself to find the church that Christ built. And Christ established his church by shedding his own blood. In his church is where all spiritual blessings are found. And instead of convenience, the questions that we should be asking is, how does that church view the Bible? Uh, do they uphold scripture? Do they believe that all scripture is inspired by God? You know, do they teach and practice the truth? Are they full of grace and truth? Are they an evangelistic church? These are the questions that one should be asking. Choose the church that Jesus built, not the church based on convenience. We also need to be um, weary of exchanges in our worship. The idea that nothing is too good for God can get us into trouble. And, you know, the religious world has exchanged, you know, in in this example, I want to give you the the word baptism for other ideas. Uh, uh, The Bible says that baptism, if we were to do a word study on that original word, the Greek word baptizo, it means to immerse, to dip, to plunge, submerge. And the word baptism is actually a transliterated word. So, so what, that, what that means, it wasn't translated into uh, the English language because there was no word for it when it was being translated. And so they simply took the Greek word baptizo and made a new word, baptism. It was transliterated into uh, the English. And probably they did this for political reasons because at that time, there was different... Ideas about what baptism was. You know, some practiced immersion, some practiced pouring, some practiced sprinkling, and they were, were exchanging it and saying that, you know, baptism could mean sprinkling or pouring and that would be sufficient. But what do the scriptures have to say about that? Not that we have time to look at every single scripture that's involved uh, in, in, within God's word about baptism, but you know, a couple of them we can reference in John chapter 3 verse 23 that John the Baptist is out uh, baptizing uh, individuals for the, the forgiveness, or excuse me, for repentance. And John 3 verses 23 says John also was baptizing in Anon near Salim because there was much water there. And people were coming and were being baptized. And you notice there was much water there. That's why John was baptizing there. So that they could be immersed into the water. And if you recall the account of the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8. You remember as, as Philip was teaching to the eunuch uh, what it meant to uh, know Jesus and, and preach Jesus to him. Remember what the eunuch said right after that? He said, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And then the scriptures say that they went down into the water and they came up out of the water. Uh, Again, uh, letting us know that they went down. They were submerged into the water. They dipped into the water. It was an immersion. It wasn't a pouring. It wasn't a sprinkling. And, And we need to be careful. Okay, to stick to the authority of the Scriptures. We can't exchange um, you know, one form of baptism for what the world uh, believes is another. And you know, the, one of the greatest exchanges within Scripture is in Matthew chapter 16, verse 26, where Jesus said, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? And so we, we need to be careful to guard ourselves against exchange. And then finally, uh, we noticed that, that shortcut that was taking place within the temple grounds. We also can shortcut our way um, in the church. Uh, last week, we talked about the, the temptations of Jesus. And you remember that one temptation where, where uh, the, the devil tried to get Jesus to take a shortcut. He, he said... You know, look at all, look at all this. Just bow down and worship me and you can have this. You don't have to go to the cross. You can, you can have it now. Take the path of least resistance. But Jesus, of course, refuted with scripture. He knew the scriptures and said, you shall worship the Lord, your God and serve him only. And we need to understand that there are not cliff notes when it comes to the Bible. There's no shortcut in acquiring a knowledge of the book. The Bible has to be read and studied over and over again. You know, we, we understand that because when we, you know, maybe when you were in school, you took a test and you didn't just read the assignment once and then go ahead and take the test or else you might have done pretty poorly on that. You reread it, you studied it, you, you made flashcards, you formed study groups. Second Timothy 2.15 says that we need to study to show thyself approved. Read the gospel accounts until we have a firm grasp on the life of Christ. Read the book of Acts until we have a firm grasp on the, the early development of the church, the history of the church. Read the epistles over and over again until we understand what the Lord expects of his church and his people. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 17, So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. It's not a lack of ability on our part, but... Usually it's a lack of interest. You know, we're so good we we can memorize things like, you know, who who was the last Super Bowl MVPs for the past 10 years or our favorite television channel numbers or our favorite recipes, but what about God's Word? Again, there is no shortcut to a knowledge of the Bible. And the man who knows it, you know, he wasn't born that way. He got that way by keeping company with the book and behaving himself uh, intelligently while he was at it. He studied it over and over again. He understood that there were no shortcuts. But most likely, again, as we conclude this lesson this evening, Jesus cleansed the temple twice. And it often happened, you know, people return to their sins. And three years later, the scene is repeated. And Jesus has to go and cleanse the temple one more time. He sought to restore reverence towards his father's house. Again, that bartering, uh, that money changing, that price gouging, the secularization of the temple, it had to stop. A place that should have been a house of prayer was turned into a robber's den by the Jewish authorities, no less. And again, I, you know, I would like to, us to think upon this question. What would Jesus do today if he visited the religious world? You know, I don't know about you, but I can imagine there would be a few tables flipped over. He would see a lack of reverence to his word. And so we too, as God's people, as God's holy temple, need to guard against such evil motives. And we need to trust him. right? Trust him and his word and submit to it. As Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 20 reminds us, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. This evening, if we can help anyone as we conclude this lesson, um, if anyone needs the prayers of this church, if they need to ask for forgiveness of sin, this is the time to do it. This is the time between you know, your brothers and sisters to come forward and to ask for those things, uh, to ask for strength and, and prayers of this congregation. Or or if you're here this evening and maybe you're not a Christian, you know, maybe uh, it's been weighing on your mind uh, that, that you need to um, do uh, exactly what Jesus has told us to do to, to uh, believe, the, believe that He is the Son of God and to be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. Again, if you would love to study that, if you'd love to talk to us about that, we, we would love to do that for you. Uh, if we can help you in any way this evening, we'd ask that you you come forward now and make your needs known as together we stand and sing this song of invitation.